Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. You know, each day we live, we have a series of choices of where to spend our time and what to think and how to go about our day. Some people choose to fill the gaps in their day with positive energy and worthwhile things, and that's why I like uplifting podcasts. And this podcast is born from a deep desire to help us all live a happier life. So hopefully today, in this time together, we will get a new perspective of how to think and live better. And as always, take a few minutes today to share this podcast with a friend. It just might be what they need in their life today. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about the power of just one more. If you look at the best-selling fiction writers of all time, you have to include William Shakespeare, Agatha Christie, and J.K. Rowling. But not too far down that list, after Dr. Seuss and Leo Tolstoy, you will find John Grisham. Grisham has sold over 300 million copies of his novels to readers all around the world. He was born in Jonesboro, Arkansas. His father was a construction worker. And as a young man, Grisham worked as a plumber, on a highway asphalt crew, as a sales clerk at a grocery store, and all of these experiences taught him that he should go to college, and he did. He changed colleges three times, but eventually got his degree. Then he went to the University of Mississippi to earn his law degree, and he set off on a 10-year career practicing law in Mississippi. Not too long into his practicing law, he decided to run for office and was elected to the Mississippi House of Representatives. And it was during this time that John decided to write a novel. Now, thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of people have tried to write a successful novel. But Grisham felt inspired to do so. And from his experiences as a lawyer, he saw firsthand the struggles that surfaced in people's lives. And after a chance encounter with the defendant in a brutal rape trial and watching her testimony of how she and her sisters were raped, Grisham wondered how the story might have been different if the girl's father had chosen revenge over the legal system. The young girl's real-life testimony had moved him to tears, and the story of her life consumed him. So he decided to write a novel based loosely on the experience of this young girl. The story was about a lawyer who defends a black man after he killed the man who sexually assaulted his daughter. He said... When I started writing in the fall of 1984, I had no idea what I was doing, but I was motivated for all the right reasons. I had a story to tell, and I wanted to see whether I could tell it. All the while, Grisham maintained his legal practice and served in the state legislature. Kinnison wrote, when he first started writing, Grisham designed a challenging daily ritual. Awaking to his alarm at 5 a.m. sharp, he would hustle through a shower and to his office five minutes away. He required himself to be at his desk with coffee and legal pad, writing his first words by 5.30 a.m. Frequently needing to be in court or client meetings before 9 a.m., Grisham knew these quiet hours were critical to finishing his book. Grisham set the goal to write at least one page every day without fail. If you're trying to write a book and you're not writing at least one page a day, he said, then the book is not going to get written. Now, to write his first book, A Time to Kill, Grisham took almost four years. He simply kept his ritual of just one more page every day. And when he was done, 
he was rejected by dozens of publishers. Finally, Winwood Press bought the manuscript and printed 5,000 copies, 1,000 of which John himself bought, selling them on a makeshift book tour. Well, exhausted from his efforts, John didn't rest. Instead, he decided to write one more and turned to a second book called The Firm. Grisham said, my first book was published, and when it came out, it didn't sell. I was very busy as a lawyer, and I told myself, I'm going to write one more book, just one more. When I was in law school, I had a friend who was a top student, and this guy was heavily recruited and would go off to visit law firms, and he came back from the trip and said, you know, I didn't really feel good about that firm. And I got the impression that once you join the firm, you never leave. It's like being owned by the mafia or something. Well, that was 10 years earlier, but the idea stuck with Grisham. So committed to write just one more, Grisham kept up his schedule of writing every morning. Learning from the painful editing process of A Time to Kill, he learned the importance of extensively outlining his books in advance. The more time I spend on the outline, he said, the easier it is to write the book. Well, describing his method as the secret to his literary success, Grisham has specific requirements for his outlines. The beginning must be captivating, the middle must be able to sustain the plot, and the ending must be unpredictable. So, keeping to his schedule, he finished his second book, The Firm, in about 18 months. When it was done, he sent a draft to his agent, Bootleg copies were made, and the story was shopped around Hollywood without Grisham's knowledge and purchased by Paramount Pictures. The existence of a movie deal drove demand for the book, and the book was purchased by Doubleday. Since then, the firm has sold almost 8 million copies. The movie earned $270 million at the box office. It cost only $42 million to make, and it was the success of the firm that also led to movies made from Grisham's future books, The Pelican Brief, The Rainmaker, The Client, Runaway Jury, and more. Well, since retiring from law practice to become a full-time writer, Grisham has maintained a similar rigorous schedule. He writes from August to November each year from 6 a.m. to noon, five days a week. Each year, he completes one more book. Noting how powerful his habits are, Grisham revealed that he still writes at the same place, same table, same chair, with the same cup and type of coffee. Now, I find it incredibly interesting that Grisham employed the power of just one more to what he did. It's just another day of sticking to his routine, one more page written each day. And when he finished A Time to Kill, he decided just one more novel. Imagine if he had not written one more book after his first novel didn't sell. He would not be a best-selling author, and he would have missed out on all that would follow. Well, the same goes for you and me and what we're trying to do in life. When, despite being tired or having failed or having won or any other thing, we go on to do or try just one more time, just one more effort, just one more attempt, we often find that one more makes all the difference. When as a parent, your patience is worn thin and you can't endure any more, just one more hour, one more bit of forgiveness, one more expression of faith, one more prayer can and does make all the difference. In the scripture, Peter was a fisherman and worked with his brother Andrew and his partners, James and John. 
One morning, they had an experience, and Dale Sturm describes it like this. It was a morning after a long night of fishing on the Sea of Galilee, made longer by the fact that they had caught nothing. The Sea of Galilee had, and still has now, some 25 native species of fish. But the two major species, the two from which fishermen made their living, then and now, are tilapia and a kind of sardine. The sardines come out into the open at night, so they are generally caught at night in large encircling nets, which, in those days, were cast by hand onto the surface of the water, allowed to sink to the bottom, pulled down by weights sewn into their perimeters, and then hauled back to the boat by hand with a rope. The rope was attached to strings, which were in turn tied to the edges of the net so that when pulled, the net would close up like a bag. It required strength and stamina to throw the nets out, haul them back in, open them up, empty them, and throw them out over and over. Peter and the others are doing the tedious but necessary daily work of washing their nets after a night of exhausting fishing. The nets needed to be cleaned of debris and any accumulated plant material, then stretched out to dry after every fishing session. If the nets were not washed and dried, they would rot and break. So like it or not, it had to be done every time, even on the mornings after long nights when nothing had been caught. Well, Jesus was there on the lakeshore that morning, and a crowd had gathered hoping to hear him teach. And to make it easier for everyone to hear, Jesus asked Peter if he could step into his boat and push out a little. The crowd would stay on the shore, and Jesus would speak to them while standing in the boat. The arrangement would create something like a natural amphitheater. Now try to imagine this with me. The sermon is over, and the boat is brought back a few yards to shore. Peter drops his now washed and dried and folded nets into the empty boat. He sighs that tired sigh that means the work is finally done, and perhaps he now turns his thoughts to breakfast and home and rest. It is in this moment that Jesus looks Peter in his weary face and says, Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a draught. In other words, one more time, one more time, take those nets you just cleaned and put away and sail back out onto that sea you just spent all night on and use your tired, aching muscles to throw the nets out again and see if you can't catch some of those fish that are nowhere to be found today. Can you imagine the look on Peter's face in this moment? Why one more time? I already tried without success. Now, Peter seems to begin his response, intent on saying no, but something happens halfway through. Master, we have toiled all the night and taken nothing. I imagine a long pause here as Jesus listens to Peter while calmly, firmly, lovingly, expectingly gazing at him. Peter changes course. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And the scripture says, and when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Where there had been nothing, there was now so much that their nets could not handle the load. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, to come and help them. And they came and they filled both ships so that they began to sink. Their four lonely empty boats were now filled beyond their capacity to remain afloat. Now, amidst the excitement and the yelling and the laughter and the splashing, Peter stops and falls to his knees right in the fish. Depart from me, he says to Jesus, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
And we come to know things that are really important about our faith, about ourselves, and about life itself when we cast into the deep just one more time. When we pray, we have faith, we try, despite being tired or frustrated or even successful, one more is where the miracles in life and in our own development are discovered. And like Peter, I think God uses the test of one more to see if we will do what he asks and show our faith by our willingness to do it just one more time. There is story after story of the great things to come the way for people and businesses who decide to do it just one more time. Perhaps in your life, you're building a business and you're weary in the work. Each day you're prospecting and selling and it feels monotonous. The biggest challenge you face each day is finding the strength, the endurance to work in the face of monotony. And the thought of just one more when you're bored and weary is almost inconceivable. But I promise one more phone call, one more appointment, one more attempt will yield results that are unexpected. Here's a simple example. When you were a child, the first time you tried to ride a bicycle, you didn't do so well, did you? You probably started with training wheels, going slow, and with your mom or your dad by your side to steady you. As you climbed on your bike day after day, each time, you got better at learning how to balance, pedal, and go forward. Soon, you could ride up and down the street. You learned to jump off the edge of the curb and could even ride without your hands on the handlebars at some point. But none of this would have been possible without your next try, without getting on the bike one more time. And if you understand this, then you understand why it's essential to make one more call, to do one more set at the gym, to meet one more person at your networking event, or learn one more skill. When you act and do the same things as everyone else, you'll get the same results as everyone else. When you implement a one more mentality, you start to do what other people are unwilling to do. So, what area in your life today are you needing to make the most improvement? Can you think of it? Once you've thought of it, think of this. What if today or tomorrow you did one more? Made one more call, read one more page, got up one half an hour earlier, stayed at the gym one more time. And if you did this consistently, would you improve at a faster or better pace? This is a simple yet secret weapon that few people ever master. I don't know if you ever had to apply for a job, but one of my children is currently in the middle of a job search, and it can be incredibly frustrating. Networking, filling out applications, applying for positions, and feeling like for each job you're in a pile of hundreds of applicants and may not ever get an interview, let alone a job offer. And it's easy in this mindset to give up. But it is exactly in this situation that one more can and does pay off. One more application, one more phone call is the answer. And if you're leading a team or raising kids, this principle is perhaps the most important you could model and pass on to them. Much of their success will come down to their commitment to executing basic tasks again and again one more time. They must learn to do the simple things well, to be comfortable doing processes repetitively until they create big enough numbers to give them the wins that they're looking for. You know, for years, people in the same business as me would ask me, what do I need to change or do in order to grow my business faster? And my answer was often the same. 
you're doing the right activities. You just aren't doing enough of them. And this is often the truth. We forget the power of repeated effort. Marianne Rodmacher said, courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is a quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. Jim was born in Brownwood, Texas. And at Brownwood High School, he was a star football and baseball player. And given his athleticism, Jim was selected 466th overall in the amateur baseball draft by the New York Yankees after he graduated high school. But Jim didn't sign. He was just out of high school and thinking about college. However, the following year, he was selected in the draft again, this time by the Milwaukee Brewers, and he signed. Now, Jim was a strong pitcher with lots of potential. Big in size and powerful, he had hopes of a career in the major leagues. However, in his first few years, Jim suffered several arm injuries, missing all of one season. And after four pitching appearances the next year, he was released, having never progressed past the single A minor leagues. After sitting out all of the following year, Jim signed with the Chicago White Sox. Again, arm injuries limited him to pitching just two games, and he was unable to rise past the single A leagues again. While unable to make anything of his career, Jim retired and moved to Big Lake, Texas with his wife, Lori, his nine-year-old son, and his five- and one-year-old daughters, where he became a physical science teacher and a baseball coach at Reagan County High School. Jim ended his career in the minor leagues, having only pitched 39 games, of which 22 were losses. Well, for more than a decade, Jim worked as a teacher. While coaching baseball for the Reagan County Owls one spring, 10 years since he had played in the minor leagues, Jim was trying to find a way to motivate his team. He was trying to teach them to take risks, to think big and to strive for more than they thought possible. So not thinking it would likely happen, he made a promise to his team that he would try out for a major league baseball team if they won the district championship, something the team had never done before. But Jim's coaching worked and the team won the title. Now, Jim was faced with having to live up to his end of the bargain. So he got in his truck and attended a Tampa Bay Devil Rays tryout. The scout running the tryout was not interested in Morris, but gave him a tryout solely to let Morris keep his promise to his players. Surprisingly, Morris discovered that in spite of his age and having several surgeries on his arm, he was able to throw 12 consecutive 98-mile fastballs. Now, for perspective, the fastest pitch in the major leagues ever recorded is 105 miles per hour. Last year, only one pitcher came close to that speed, and the average pitcher can throw 92 miles per hour. So when any pitcher can throw consecutive pitches at 98, you have to pay attention. So Tampa Bay offered Jim a contract to play in their minor league system. Well, after much debate with his family, he signed a professional contract, and at the age of 35, he started out with the double-A Orlando Rays and moved quickly up to a spot with the triple-A Durham Bulls. Now, there have been old players in the major leagues. Justin Verlander played at age 40, Nelson Cruz at 42, but few, if any, players started their career at 35. Most players are done by 35. Well, thanks to solid pitching performances with Durham, Tampa Bay gave Jim a chance to pitch with the Rays when their roster expanded one September. So on September 18th, 1999, against the Texas Rangers, 
the 35-year-old Morris made his debut, striking out the final batter on four pitches. He would make four more appearances that year. Jim Morris made 16 major league appearances in the following year. His final appearance came at Yankee Stadium. Now, just a few years after his major league success, Disney came knocking at his door. They hired a screenwriter who also would write Finding Forrester, Miracle, Invincible, Secretariat, and Cars 3 to write the screenplay. And the movie, entitled The Rookie, was released and sold over $80 million at the box office. Today, Jim is an author and speaker. Jim, the story, the movie, exemplifies the power of just one more. Even if you're 35, just one more tryout. Even if you're a school teacher and already played in the minor leagues, just one more attempt. Even if no one thinks you can, just step up and show them you can throw 98 miles per hour and they need to give you a second look. You see, dreams and stories are made and told by those who try just one more time. Just over a decade ago, a movie was released that grabbed an astonishing $210 million at the box office. The movie was The Help. The movie starred Emma Stone, Viola Davis, Octavia Spencer, and Jessica Chastain. And at the 84th Academy Awards, Octavia Spencer won the award for Best Supporting Actress for her role in the movie. And the movie received three other nominations that year, including Best Picture. But those awards would never have been won. Disney would have never produced the movie, and the millions of dollars would have never been earned without Catherine Stockett putting the principle of just one more to work in her life. Catherine grew up in Mississippi, and their family had always employed some help in the care of the household and cooking. And Catherine, who was later living in New York City, was homesick and started to write a novel to help her connect with her home. Catherine set about writing each day. It took her five years to complete the novel. Five years. Most of us would give up after five months, but she kept after it day after day. Then she had to take the book to a literary agent who could help her find a publisher. She was rejected by 60 agents over a period of three years. Now, I don't know about you, but I've published a book. Luckily, the second agent I contacted was interested and I signed with her. But there is no way I would keep going after 20 literary agent rejections. But Catherine went through 60. I mean, after 60, you would say to yourself, I think no one's interested. I should probably quit. Most people would. But not Catherine. Putting the power of just one more to work. On the next try, an agent, Susan Raymer, agreed to represent Stockett. And the book was published. As of today, the book has sold over 7 million copies. And it spent 100 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. And, as I mentioned, became an award-winning movie that all of you listening to this podcast have likely seen. There is power, magic, in just one more. So, what one more do you need to do in your life today? One more prayer, one more goal, one more good habit, one more friend, one more try, attempt, emotion, association, dream, question, answer, possibility to consider, skill, act of kindness, or any other one more that you may need to be part of your life right now? What if you just focused on one and did it just once more? You know, Ed Milet wrote a wonderful book on this topic. And to end the book, he writes a final thought about the power of one more, and he calls it 
one more chance. Here is his story in his words. My father was a banker by profession, a hardworking man who never missed a day at school. He was also an alcoholic for the first 15 years of my life. He paid a horrible price as he suffered through this disease. And by extension, the people he loved paid a steep price too. We became the collateral damage in a war that raged inside of him. Although we had a very loving family, his illness created anxiety and worry in us all. It was tough to watch my father struggle every day with something I knew he wanted to rid from himself. But, ironically, I will tell you his drinking happened for me and not to me. Even more so, my father's alcoholism happened for him and not to him. That's because through his illness, my father eventually found his true calling in life. Despite this affliction, my father was my best friend, and I looked up to him. He was my hero, confident, advisor, and the person I trusted above all others. He made me and my three sisters feel special, and we all thought about him in the same way. Despite challenges in your own families, I know many of you have experienced the things my sisters and I did. As a young boy, every son starts out thinking his father is perfect, someone who can do no wrong. Unfortunately, the nature of life is that a father is human, and he will make mistakes along the way. As a father now, I certainly know that I've made them. But when you're a young boy, and if you're like I was, you stand in awe of your father. You gladly make him your hero, and you look beyond those mistakes and imperfections. However, I didn't look up to him because I thought he was perfect. In fact, the opposite was true. It was his ability to overcome his mistakes and shortcomings that made him even more extraordinary in my eyes. When I was 15, my dad was confronted with the biggest, one last, one more of his life. My mother gave him an ultimatum. Either you get sober or lose your family. You won't get another chance, she told him. I'll never forget what my dad said to me when faced with this. Eddie, I'm going to go away for a while and I'm going to stop drinking. When I come back, you're going to have the father you deserve. Your sisters are going to have the dad they deserve, and your mother is going to have a husband worthy of her. Now, I'd heard this before, and I wanted desperately to believe him. So I asked him, how is this time going to be any different? I'd never seen my dad cry before, but that day, with tears in his eyes, he said, I have one more chance, Eddie. One last, one more. My father, who struggled with his addiction and tried to get sober many times, took those words to heart. The stakes were now so high that one more failure was not an option. Through his work with the Alcoholics Anonymous organization, my father embraced the idea of living one more day sober, a core mantra of AA. In fact, it became the entire premise of his life. Now, that may sound like a small thing to overcome if you've never battled addiction, but in the word of an alcoholic, winning this fight of one more day at a time means everything. Once he committed to it, my dad didn't try to stay sober every remaining day of his life. He tried to stay sober one more day of his life. One day at a time, stacked upon each other until the days became weeks and months, and they became years. The difference in that kind of mindset means everything to a recovering alcoholic. And if you're reading this and you're thinking about quitting on your dream, a business you've started, or anything important to you, don't put the pressure on yourself to meet the goal for five or 10 years or the rest of your life. Instead, think about not quitting for one more day. Take things one more small step at a time.
All you need to do is to get through today. Tomorrow, you can start again and conquer your battles with a one more mentality. In your darkest and most challenging times, I know many of you think about quitting and giving up. And when these thoughts come to you, just hold on for one more day. I think Ed has it exactly right. Redemption and overcoming are filled with the principle of just one more chance. And I believe that is what much of Scripture is trying to teach us, that the gift that's been given to us by God, the love that He shared with the world, gave to us the gift of one more chance, the ability to leave our habits and mistakes behind, and with one more chance and one more try, take the steps that turn us to Him and find the grace that allows us to give away our past mistakes and find redemption. Oh, there's beauty and love and peace found in the principle of one more chance. In fact, I believe that God created day and night for several reasons, but one of those reasons was for us to treat each day as a new chance, one more chance to be a little better and try again. Each night as the sun sets, so do our past attempts. Each day as the sun rises, so do our hopes and chances to try again but this time a little better. And the same goes for years. We have new years for the same reason. So as we end today, put on a new view, a new day, and put the power of one more to work in your life. Remember John and Jim and Catherine who found their power through trying and doing just one more. You too can find success and power when you follow their example. And remember what Ed taught us, that one more chance is what God gives to us every day. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become. Mm-hmm.